don't don't make a right turn on red. Don't make a right turn on red. Now, now I'm sure some of you are are thinking, uh, well, that's legal. You can do that, except for the rare occasions there may be a sign that that you can't. But so you're thinking, no, you're wrong, Tim. You can make a right turn on red, but you're you're not catching what I mean. I had I had said, don't make a right turn on red. There was no ambiguity. There was no chance of misinterpretation. I'd been clear. I'd been concise. I had been to the point, don't turn right on red. That that was actually one of many instructions that I had given. Like, don't forget to put your seatbelt on. Check your mirrors. Uh, be sure to signal before you pull out into traffic. At stop signs, look both ways twice before um, before going or, or making a, tur- uh, a turn. And don't turn right on red. I had said all of those things to my daughter, Crystal. Uh, sitting in the parking lot at the driver's license uh, uh, facility in St. Joe, I, I'd gone through all those instructions, finishing with don't turn right on it. Even if your instructor tells you to do that, don't do it. Now, now she knew what my will was. She knew what I wanted her to do and how I wanted her to act, in this case, how I wanted her to drive. In fact, if you had asked her, do you know the will of your father, she would have probably rolled her eyes and said, well, of course I do. You've been harping on it uh, and lecturing me for the last 30 minutes. She knew my will. So so you can understand my situation. When I, I, I stood uh, on the second floor of that facility looking out the window as her and the instructor uh, got in the car, and, and I could see just well enough to, uh, to, to notice her pull her seatbelt on and click it into place. Um, sat there for a little while, and then I saw her turn signal come on. I'm like, she was listening. She's, I am so proud of her. She's going to do great. And, and she pulled out into to traffic and went about half a block, and then I saw her right turn signal come on. And then I watched the light go from green to yellow to red. And I'm saying to myself, or maybe out loud, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You just did it. Now, now, not only did I see her turn right on red, I also saw the car that had the green light slam on its brakes as it almost rear-ended her. She pulled right out in front of it. And I'm, I'm thinking right now, the instructor's saying, sorry, honey, you just passed your driver's test. Loop on back to the, the, the building. But she kept on going, and, and 20 minutes later, she pulled in. She had passed, not only passed, I'll point this out, Chris, that she had got the highest score of any of the boys to that point, any of the kids to that point. Uh, you wonder what they're watching when they, when they do those things. But I'm sure she was chatting it up with the lady, and the lady didn't see that car slam on its brake. She knew my will. She knew what I wanted her to do. The, last week, we started uh, this series in the book of Colossians, and and I started out in chapter 1, and in chapter 1, the, the first thing we see is Paul's prayer. Paul prays for this church at Colossians, and, and we looked at the first part of that prayer last week, and, and the first part of that prayer was really simple. He, he said, I pray that you will know God's will, that you'll know what God wants you to do. Remember, we, we talked about that, that one of the things we struggle with are or we think we struggle with is knowing what God's will for our life is. But last week, 
we point it out in a general way. We, we illustrate it through a, a book by Noble Staten that, that, that we're under an umbrella. And under that umbrella of God's general will, as long as we're doing what he's asked us to do, as long as we accept him and we're loving and forgiving and serving and caring like Jesus, then we are directly in the will of God. The reality is we know the will of God. And just like Crystal did, she knew my will. But where the rub is, where the, where, where the difficult part is, where, where we struggle is, will we obey the will of God? So Paul starts this prayer. We looked at that last week, praying that they would know God's will. The, the rest of the prayer is him connecting or tying the, the will of God with our activity, with our action, with what we do. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter one. If you have your, your uh, uh, phones, you can look it up there. There's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1, I'm just going to read, uh, I'm not going to read the whole section, just a, a few of the verses. Uh, verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, remember I pointed out last week, Paul didn't even know these believers, but he had heard about them, been praying for them. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Um, uh, older version of, uh, of the NIV puts it this way. It, it phrases that phrase in verse 10, and we pray this in order that you may know the will of God. So Paul is tying knowing the will of God with the actions that must follow that. So so let's look on and, and see what else he prays for. Prays that they know God's will, and then he connects it. And he says this, that you may live a worthy life. Now, now when we read that, or at least when I read that, 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 that he's praying that I'll live a life worthy, uh, a couple questions come to mind. Probably the first one, I'm, I'm guessing your first question might be similar to mine. That first question is, well, what does he mean there? What's he talking about? What, what does it mean to live a, a, a worthy life? Now, now that's not a bad question. In fact, it's a question worthy of us to think about. But, but let me, let me just suggest that that's not the right question. It, it's an important one, but that's not really the right question. When I was a kid, uh, I remember watching this movie. In fact, they, they came out with a second and I believe even a third uh, movie. It, w- it was the movie called Pink Panther. Now, some of you probably saw the one that had Steve Martin in it, but, but I'm talking the one from 1963 that had Peter Sellers playing the, the, uh, the, the bumbling Inspector Jacques Cousteau. And one of my favorite scenes from that movie, and if you watch that movie, maybe this is yours as well, one of my favorite scenes uh, in that movie is is a situation where he asks the wrong question. He's checked into a motel, and as as he starts to walk away from the desk, there's a little puppy on the ground, and he looks at the dog, and he looks back at the guy, and he, and he says, and I'll do my best Jacques Cousteau uh, accent, does your dog bite? And and the guy shakes his head no, and Clouseau bends over, starts to pet it, and the dog just, and starts biting his hand, and, and he stands up and looks at the, the guy and said, I thought you said your dog didn't bite. And the guy said, anyone know what he said? That's not my dog. He asked the wrong question. Now, that's a great question, does your dog bite? But what he should have said, hey, is that your dog? Uh, so 
So what does it mean? That's a good question, but it's the wrong question. I, I think instead of asking that, well, and I think it's the wrong question really for a couple reasons. You may find this a little bit weird, but, but first of all, I think it's the wrong question because we really do know what it means. You're like, okay, live worthy. I, I don't know if I'm getting that, but I think we know what that means. And, and, and really just go back to what we talked about last week to that pray that you'll know the will of God. Because when we know the will of God, and we know that, that in, a, in a real big picture way, the will of God is for us to live like Jesus, to try to be like Jesus. And, and, and if we realize that, then we know what it means to live a life worthy. Because if we live like Jesus, aspire to, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be 100% holy like Jesus was. But when we try that, we'll get there. Now, now the second reason that's, uh, that, that it's the wrong question, uh, and I've got to be careful because it's going to seem like I'm going to contradict this in just a minute, but uh, it's this. We, we know we can't. We know we can't be worthy. Let me, let me add a little bit. We can't be worthy on our own. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, now kind of what that verse is saying, what, it, what it's talking about there, what, what I come away with that is, uh, you're not worthy. Uh, over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What I get from that is, you're not worthy. See, see, we can't be worthy on our own. I, I don't care. I don't care how much you love or how much you serve. I don't care how much money you give away or or how many people you bless. The part of the gospel message is this: it's never going to be enough. I, I'll never be worthy on my own. But but I'm made worthy because of Jesus. Romans 5.8, so go back to Romans. Verse 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, it's not me, but I I was still unworthy, but he died for me. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin, 3.23 said that, that we all sin, For the wages of sin is death. I'm not worthy. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or First John one nine. So the the verse right after the verse that said, "Hey, if you say you're, you don't have sin, you deceive yourself," says this: If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us of our unrighteousness. He will make us worthy. So, so what does it mean? Kind of is the wrong question. I think the 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 right questions deals more with what what does he want us to learn here what does he what does he want us to to get when he says to live worthy and and, and I'll suggest two things first of all is that we can be seen as worthy you catch that we can be seen as worthy so so that you may live a life worthy of the lord what what he's saying there i think one of the things he wants us to catch in that is that I can live worthy. Not of my own, because of Jesus, but I can live worthy. Let me, let me illustrate it. Uh, some of you, um, probably when I say this, you're going to have someone in mind. But you probably have seen that obnoxious mom, and sometimes it's an obnoxious dad or maybe together, but, but maybe you've seen that obnoxious mom who's at a ball game and, and, uh, 
they are the types of, so it's like this, their, 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 their son, their, their little boy Jimmy comes in and Jimmy's uh, at the end of the bench and Jimmy's at the end of the bench because Jimmy's not very good. Nothing wrong with that, but Jimmy's not very good and, and Jimmy, little Jimmy finally comes in the game and when, when he goes to check in, that obnoxious mom, you know who they are, they, they stand up and they begin, way to go Jimmy, come on Jimmy, you can do, start screaming at the top of her head, just cheering for little Jimmy and when he gets in the game, if Jimmy touches the ball, which usually he doesn't, but, but if he touches the ball or if he, guard someone that's touching the ball or if he looks towards the ball uh, that mom starts to yell and scream way to go Jimmy you're doing wonderful just yelling at the top of her lungs and 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 little Jimmy's not very good in fact he doesn't even know which end he's supposed to be shooting at and he doesn't know who he's supposed to be guarding and sometimes he doesn't know which guys are on his team and which are on the other team uh, but but that mom that mom sees Jimmy as worthy you you have no doubt in your mind when that obnoxious mom is screaming and yelling and and i'll just raise your hand is that you is is that one of you guys some of you that way you she may have bad judgment on on how good jimmy is but she's never lost sight of the fact that that in her mind, Jimmy is worthy of that praise. Uh, Ephesians 4.1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, catch this what he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And now here in Colossians 1.10, he says to lead a life worthy. So so what I want you to catch, what I want you to learn from that, I think what, what Paul wants them to kind of hang their hat on here is if, if Scripture is calling us to live worthy, then it is something that is obtainable. It, it, it is how God wants us to realize he sees us. He, he, he he is cheering us on, and and we may be the worst player on his team. We may be the, the the least talented Christian. We may be messing up, and we may not know what we're doing. But but if we've called on Jesus and and we're under that umbrella, then He sees us as worthy, and He's cheering us on. The 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 second thing I think that Paul wants us to learn from that is that we must be worry worthy. Notice what he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, now catch this, and please him in every way. Uh, so, so it's cool that we can be seen as worthy, but there's also the expectation that we are to live that way. Now, I grew up in a church, uh, my home church is a wonderful church, just a beautiful church. I, I mentioned it before, and I, I love my home church, but I grew up, and part of it may have just been the era that I grew up uh, many decades ago, but uh, but I grew up in a church that that kind of the thought that we were left with as a teenager growing up, it's kind of where I, it, it's what the, the consciousness I had about my walk with the Lord was, was more about making sure that I didn't do something that would displease God. So, so that's kind of the, 
That's kind of how things were laid out to us. Now, now be sure to do the right stuff so that you don't make God unhappy. Don't do anything that's going to make God mad at you or displease him. Uh, but, but the reality is we can, can please him. See, if we only think about the things that might disappoint him, we might totally miss the reality that we can do things that do please him. See, when we live under the general will of God, when we are making an effort to look like Jesus, to love, forgive, serve, care like Jesus, then then we're, in God's eyes, living worthy and it pleases him. Now, he takes it one step further and uh, fleshes it out uh, a little bit, and he, he says this. So here's the second thing, that, or actually the third thing he's praying, he, that, that we will produce good works. So, so he says that, uh, uh, that live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Remember last week I I said that the, the, one of the thoughts of the Gnostics philosophy was that in the spiritual world, the spiritual world was all good and the physical world where we are was all bad and they could never meet, they could never cross each other. Uh, well, Paul blows this idea out of the water. Paul is saying that when our spiritual world connects with us doing the will of God, then we can be like Jesus. When, when our two worlds collide, then we bear good fruit. We bear good works. In part because it's, in part because it's natural. Matthew chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 7, 15 to 18 says this. Uh, Watch out for false prophets, Jesus says. They, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits, what's produced natural, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No, or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears what? Good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Bearing fruit is natural. Jesus says also in John 15, verses 5 and 8, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verse 8, he says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When we know the will of God, when we're working to live worthy and being like Jesus, the natural outcome is that we bear fruit, is that we produce something. It's been several years ago, uh, Rita and I were in Southern California visiting her mom uh, uh, and her stepdad. and They had, they had moved from uh, a house about four blocks from the ocean to a house uh, to a, a, a retirement village called Leisure World, which was a couple miles from the beach. So we struggled, but it, you know we we may do. But we were in Leisure World, and we, we were there for about four or five days. And and I'd go for a walk every day. I'd walk through we, Leisure World, and and on that walk, the first day, I noticed right outside one of the the units, I noticed an orange tree. Now it wasn't very big; it probably was only about that tall. But it was loaded with oranges, and they were bright orange. They were huge, and they were bright orange. And I walked by that the first day, like, wow, that looks cool. And, and the next day, I walked by again, and those oranges were just, 
just tempting me like, oh, you know, I almost felt like uh, Eve and, you know, Satan saying, here, take. And, and uh, oh, they look so good. But the third day I'm thinking, I wonder if I could slip over and pluck one of those and they would probably never know. I, I thought later, you know, if I went back after dark, I could just pretend and, and you know, like I'm chasing something out of the way and, oh, look, it fell down and, and uh and uh, and the last day we were there, I I took the walk and I I saw that and I I tell you what I I couldn't hold back anymore. I, I walked up to that house. I didn't steal an apple. Or I mean, well, definitely not an apple. I didn't pluck an orange. I and this embarrassed my wife, but I walked up and knocked on the door, and and I gave the lady this sob story about being from the Midwest and we don't have orange trees in the Midwest and boy that. Those oranges look really good. and You know, I'll pay you, but could I have one of those oranges? They look so good. And I remember her answer was, well, of course you can. Uh, we don't eat them. They usually fall off and rot. And I'm like, oh, I should have stole them all week long. But but, but I took that orange, and, and I kid you not, it was the best orange I'd ever had. Now, maybe it wasn't, but it, it was in my mind. It was a wonderful orange. Bearing fruit looking like Jesus, loving like him, forgiving like him, serving like him, caring. It's its natural. An orange tree bears oranges, and a believer bears good fruit. Uh, and the reality is we, we should bear fruit because we want to. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Later on in this book in Colossians, we'll look at it uh, in in a few weeks, chapter 3, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, uh, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. When we put on Christ, when we clothe ourselves with Christ, when we bear His image, then we want to bear good fruit. Uh, yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, we had 120 people uh, dress up in uh, in uh, uh, bright yellow shirts. Derek had one on. They must be doing children's shirts so, uh, uh, downstairs. But, but we put on these bright neon yellow green shirts and 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 you could see us wherever you went. In fact, I went mushroom hunting after with Crystal after the event, and and some of the grandkids were with us. And and we I I, I kind of went ahead and, and left one of my grandkids behind. I didn't tell you that, Rita. Uh, but but I finally, finally Eden said, "Papa, I think we're, Callie's not here." And I looked back, and I didn't see Callie, but I saw her shirt. Uh, see, when we put on Christ. We we choose to be like him. We choose to bear fruit. And and one last thing, we'll finish with this. Just one last thing that he prays for. We see that in the end of uh, of verse ten, he says, "Growing in the knowledge of God." Growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, team, you can come on up. Uh, I mentioned last week that knowledge or or know comes from the Greek word uh, gnosko. Um, the, the word that he uses here, that we grow in the knowledge of, 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 of God, 
is a little bit different. It's the Greek word epigonosko. Uh, Curtis Vaughn defines it this way. He says knowledge, or epigonosko, uh, is knowledge which grasps and penetrates into the object. It's, it's a knowledge that goes, goes beyond, goes a little bit deeper. Let me, let me illustrate that with a verse. Uh, first Corinthians 13, 12, uh, shows us the difference between just gnosko and epigonosko. It says this, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and he uses the word gnosko. No, knowledge, I know in part. Then, he's talking about heaven, then I shall know epigonosko fully, even as I am fully known. See, see, we reach a point where, where our knowledge is, is broader. So, Paul's prayer, Paul's prayer is living under the will of God. We, we have a personal relationship with Christ and we grow to know Him. So, so Paul prays, prays that we know the will and then that we plug the, His will into our lives. Uh, when when Crystal was in high school and, and our older son Brian uh, were in high school, they ran track. Um, and uh, I'd go to the track meets and and I loved to stand at the fence and watch. And 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 I don't know if it was when Crystal was a junior, senior, or or younger, but but I began to notice this lady. Um, and and she was there and she was always standing at the finish line and she was there to cheer her her daughter and. I, I, I've got to just be honest. I mean, it's, um, and really, there, there was no misunderstanding this. Her daughter was probably the worst athlete in, uh, in, in the whole track meet. And, and I watched several of the track meets. She went to North Andrews School. Every track meet we were at, North Andrew was at. And, and this girl usually ran the, the distance, uh, the 800 and the mile and, the, and, and often the two mile. And she was always last. Uh, and for several track meets, I felt sorry. And I was almost embarrassed for the mom who stood at the, 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 the finish line cheering her daughter when she finally crossed. Everyone else had finished, had gotten, had put their sweats back on. Some of them were already at the concessions to him getting something to eat or drink. And, and, and oftentimes they were waiting for this girl to finally finish so they could go to the next event. But, but her mom was there at the finish line cheering her on. Now, the, like I said, the first few track meets I was embarrassed for. And I don't know, halfway through the season, something switched in my thinking and, and my heart was touched. Cause this mom knew her daughter wasn't an athlete. She knew that she was never gonna end up with a medal unless there was only two or three people in the event. But, but when her daughter crossed the finish line, event after event after event, that daughter would glance over and standing there on the other side of the fence was her mom with a huge smile on her face and with a way to go, honey. With a, you are worthy. You are worthy. Paul, Paul prays that we figure out what God's will for our life is, which is be like Jesus. And that he looks at us, and we may just drag across that finish line, and we 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 may be the worst one out there, but he sees us 
And he's got a smile on his face. And he's ready to go. My good and faithful servant, you are worthy. Would you bow with me real quick? Father, we thank you that we can't earn, we can't be made worthy by our own efforts or our own goodness, but we're made worthy in your eyes because of your son Jesus. Father, we thank you that you see us, even with our flaws and even with our failures and even when we mess up, God, uh, you see us and we are worthy, we are worthy in your sight. Father, help us live, live as worthy believers. Bearing fruit. Trying to be like Jesus and serve like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.